Hello. Sunday, Monday, happy days. Hello, Dennis. Tuesday, Wednesday, happy days. Hey, we're back. Thursday, Friday, happy days. We're right back into the thick of things with Sacrosanto Concilium. The liturgical year, Monday, Sunday. Oh, that's why you were doing that. I am so far ahead of you, Jesse. It's unbelievable. But guess what? We're cruising to the end of Vatican II, but not quite yet. Yeah, a few more to go. This is incredibly delightful, the liturgical year. So without further ado, episode 25 of season three of The Liturgy Guys. And time is a creature. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. <laughs> hey, guys. Is this on the cutting room floor? Hey, do you know that Parmesan crisps often smell like old feet? <laughs> yes, Isn't I know that, that because that's, I've been eating them, and that's what my breath smells like right now. <laughs> but, but aren't they delicious? They are anyway? delicious. Oh, my goodness. I think I only want Parmesan in crisp form from now on. It's true. It's good. But you know what we're talking about today? I don't, actually. We are on the mission to continue. Are we talking about Parmesan crisps? Well, it, Parmesan is made in Parma, which is in Italy, which is also where the Vatican is, mm-hmm. which is where the Second Vatican Council happened. And on paragraphs 102 and forward, they talked about the liturgical year of the Sacrosanct Concilium. Wow, that was a really good transition. Thank you. Are you still here, Chris? Yeah. Chris does his best to tolerate us. So it's been a while since we... Brought back the liturgical stuff from Vatican II. But you know what? How many emails have we had saying, keep it up, keep going? Yeah, and people in person were like, tell Chris that we love the Sacrosanto Control. Yes, Yes, they they did. Honest to God. Yep. We were talking to somebody in Des Moines. Oh, one of our students. Yeah. Yeah. Who was that? Everybody, McManus. Oh, yeah. Father McManus. Father PJ McManus, formerly known as Dominic. So, anyway, what are we up to here, Christoph? Liturgical year. Number 102. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Johnson, number 102. What is the thing behind the liturgical year? The Paschal Mystery. That is exactly so right. So good. And it's so yeah. immense that you can't just get it one hour. I did this really uh, nerdy liturgy guy thing, and I... Uh, uh, Was wor- it a rap word- about liturgy? Words- <laughs> no, this, is, this could be worse. This, I, words? Uh, wor- you mean better? Better, yeah. Uh, I word-searched Paschal Mystery in mm-hmm. Sacrosanctum Concilium. How many times does it appear? Eight times. Oh. And three of those times are in this chapter. Wow. Uh, so what the liturgical year is trying to do, according to this is uh, chapter five in Sacrosanctum Concilium, it's constantly talking about the Paschal mystery that gets sacramentalized by time. Right? So the thing, the res, the res sacramenti of the liturgical year is the Paschal mystery. But how do you sacramentalize and make that external by time? That's the hard thing to do, All right? So you can music you can hear, and uh, you know water and candles you can see, and incense you can smell, but you can't do any of that with time. So it's kind of a quirky chapter. The Chrono Logos, though, right? Yeah, Logos, chronology. Oh, you have the word that. sort of over time in a, in a particular order. Well, it's true. So the Logos is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, is the organizing principle. The Paschal Mystery is the organizing principle of all 
time. Right. We've talked about time before. Time is a creature, Chris. That's what uh, St. Thomas says. It was created by God. It's not a creature with, you know, fluffy tail and four little legs walking around the woods, but something created by God. Father time, right? No, not father time, just just time, right? He's personified by father time, I guess. But time is something that angels don't need. Why, Jesse? Uh, Because they are not humans and they don't have the choice to obey time or disobey time. Oh, you were so close, right? They're, they're not They're not human. I'll they're stop not there. Human, Full right? stop. But they're also not fallen. The fallen angels are, but their intellect is such that they have either chosen for or against God because of their intellect. They, they didn't have to pay, uh, you know, weigh all the options, ponder, do I like God? Do I not? Do I, will I serve? Will I not serve? They, the instant of their creation, at least one theory, is that they either chose for God or against God, and then it's done. Us, though, we people here on earth, we need time. We need time to be like, who is God? What is God? How do I freely say yes to God? And so over the span of our lifetime, we learn more and more and more. And so the church gives us time, not only time, but knowledge over time of all the things of the Paschal Mystery to say, okay, now I know more. And then the next year you hear the same gospel again. You say, okay, that helps me make that choice for God. So it's actually an act of God's mercy that time exists at all. This uh, makes me think a little bit of how sometimes... I am jealous of people who enter the church uh, on Easter because as adults, they made a decision. They said, I'm doing this. They've thought about it. They make the decision. Whereas I was baptized when I was a child. I, I didn't consciously choose that when I was an infant, and I was just kind of raised in the faith. And you know, having the ability to actually say yes and choose that is something that I just always found very interesting because it's not something that I've ever experienced. But you had all those graces working in you all over That's all that true. time anyway. It's true. This uh, this will come up a little bit later at number 109 when it talks about Lent, because Lent is a time to prepare for people to, to choose Jesus for the first time or to recall our choice of Jesus uh, later. So that would be uh, an instance of what As I recall, we, we both kind of liked it. Yeah, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> This uh, chapter five, though, as you uh, may have divined, comes right after chapter four. Chapter four was on the Liturgy of the Hours, right? So the reality of the Liturgy of the Hours is the Paschal Mystery of Christ, and in the context of a day, which is divided up basically into three-hour segments. Oh, we're just zooming out a little bit. We are. We are. Like uh, uh, David Fagerberg would say, nesting cups or uh, a telescope or something nesting like that. Nesting dolls. Yeah. This is where I say my favorite joke. I don't trust Russian nesting dolls because they're full of themselves. Now, who, who has a, fa- a, a Russian nesting doll joke? Jesse that, does. Me. That's, <laughs> my, that's the number two yep. nesting right. doll joke right. that I have. So chapter four is about how the day and its hours temporalize and sacramentalize the Paschal mystery of Jesus. Now, when you get to number 102, it's going to talk about the week and its various days. That's your next kind of segment of sacred time. And so it begins, uh, every week on the day in which she calls the Lord's Day, she keeps memory of the Lord's resurrection. Now, step back even farther, and you get to the next uh, uh, bit of text here. It says, the year, which is punctuated by various seasons, looks at the Paschal mystery of Christ and the whole life of Christ from the largest context. It says, uh, she also celebrates in the whole year, together with his passion, in the most solemn festival of Easter. With the cycle of the year, she unfolds the whole mystery of Christ from the incarnation and birth Uh, through the ascension, the day of Pentecost, the expectation and blessed hope of the coming of the Lord. So imagine um, 
You look confused, but I think it's our different uh, I translation. have a different translation yeah. than you. So imagine, I, well, this is how I imagine. You take, uh, um, Jesse, used, they used to make uh, watches like this. Okay. So you take the face off of a watch and you have different uh, cogs or different wheels or mm-hmm. whatever they are. So the church gears. gears, yeah. So the uh, liturgical gear, yeah. liturgical gear. So the 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 church's uh, sacramental liturgical timepiece is made up of three different gears. You have the yearly gear with its seasons, the weekly gear with its days, and the daily gear with its uh, different hours, and all of that works together to tell Paschal Mystery Time. Paschal Mystery Time, yes. But there's a couple other concepts in this uh, very first paragraph at 102. It says that the church keeps the memory of the Lord's resurrection, uh, recalling the mysteries of redemption. What do, what's, the, uh, what's the word that... Um, uh, Ontology. Anamnesis. It's, it's anamnesis. Oh, anamnesis. Yeah, you forget. It was Liturgi- a 50-50 shot. Mm-hmm. Liturgical brain. Mm-hmm. Right, and so when uh, the church recalls or remembers uh, the Lord throughout uh, sacred time, what happens to that reality? It, it, it exists in the present. That's exactly what it says. Uh, the, the, these are in some way made present in all time so that the faithful are enabled to lay hold of them and become filled with saving grace. So when the church, uh, the, Holy, the Holy Spirit is called in the catechism the church's living memory. This is this anamnetic thing. So when the church excuse me, when the Holy Spirit helps the church to remember the Paschal mystery of Jesus in the year, in the week, and in the day, that reality in some way actually becomes present before our very eyes so that we can, as it says, I think it's kind of, you can lay hold of it, be filled with saving grace. So time is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And we do the same thing every year, though, Chris. How boring is that? Well, every three years. Well, the three-year cycle of the gospel, but... Why do this every year? Just go through the liturgical year once, and you're done, right? Yeah, why isn't it a liturgical lifetime? Ooh. Well, it is a liturgical lifetime. But the thing about the liturgical year is that, you know, one Sunday is not enough to get the whole Paschal mystery. One year is not even enough to encounter the whole Paschal mystery. And the time, by the time you've heard it once, when you're five, you get a little bit, right? Then when you're six, a little more. Seven, a little more. I have a Chris Carson's answer to that question. What is that? Because God reveals himself in the humane. And we as humans experience things in days, weeks, and years. So allowing us to experience the liturgy in days, weeks, and years is a gift from God. That's pretty good, Jesse. Yeah. That's, Do that's, I sound Karstinian? It's pretty good, but it's not an answer to my Dang question. It. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, let me say smart guy stuff for a while. It wasn't what I was saying. is what I was thinking Chris would say. So okay. I'm okay. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, when you're seven and you go through the liturgical year, you don't get much out of it, but you know a little bit. When you're 20, you can get a lot more out of it. When you're 25, when you've grown in holiness, when whatever your needs are, however, you are different every time you encounter these mysteries of, this, of the liturgical year. And so doing it again and again isn't just you know, useless repetition. It's actually a kind of repetition that's different every time. I remember uh, you took a deep breath. You want to say something? Go ahead. Well, what, what this reminds me of is, uh, you could tell me if this is relevant to your question. In uh, Cardinal Ratzinger's The Spirit of the Liturgy, he has this chapter on liturgy, cosmos, history. Mm-hmm. Remember this one? He says that the church 
church's liturgical calendar is both linear, like it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, but it's also cyclical, yep. uh, just like... Um, like a spiral going out to... Yeah, and so point. as uh, to Jesse's Chris point, <clears throat> the, uh, you know, this is what human beings do. They celebrate a cycle uh, of their birthdays, of springtime, of anniversaries, of you know, summer vacations that come around year after year after year. Well, the church uh, being uh, sympathetic and God being sympathetic to our humanity, I mean, adopts a lot of that human element in her own time. And so by by celebrating Christmas every year and Lent every year and Easter and Pentecost and Ascension every single year, she's uh, doing just what human beings do uh, naturally, tapping into that kind of cosmic element. Right, and giving us time to, to look at it with new eyes. What I think Father Larry Hennessy taught me once was that looking at the Christian mystery is like looking at a gem with many facets. So imagine you're, you have a diamond the size of this table, and one, you're on one side of it, and you see one angle. Then you go a few degrees around, you see it at a different angle. You see it a few degrees around, and you work your way all the way around this diamond to see the whole thing. But by the time you get back to where you started, the sun in the sky has moved. Whoa, so where you started looks different from when you started the first time. And then you go around again, and then the sun's moved again. And so this constant process of looking at the same thing actually brings out different facets of it, even though you're going around the same diamond. And so you are, your sun is different in your life as you win when you're 35 or when you're 90. Maybe you're you know, thinking about your own death. You might look at the passion of Christ differently than when you're 25 and you think you have your whole life in front of you. So seeing the, the Paschal mysteries of Christ again and again and again is not the same thing again and again. And again. Yeah, it's I'm sure every time. I'm sure knowing you know, Mary as the mother of Christ does not really make itself present in a way in which, you, you know, if you're a woman, you, you, you don't have any children yet, as opposed to when you do have children. Right. And then you know what that emotion, you can connect and tap into that better. Or if you have a child who dies before you, oh man, then you mm -hmm. understand that, you know, Mary's sorrow in a different way. And I know you don't have this right in front of you, but perfect segue, Jesse, because 103 says, in celebrating this annual cycle of Christ's mysteries, Holy Church honors with special love the Blessed Mary, mm. Mother of God, and who's joined by this bond to the saving work of her son. And what does it say about her, Chris? Uh, the church holds her up, admires the most excellent fruit of the redemption, and joyfully contemplates as in a faultless model that which she desires and hopes to be. Yeah, think how, ma how many Marian feast days uh, there are. In fact, like a lot. There's, there's a, a lot. ton. Well, what was the one that uh, Pope Francis um, uh, added to the calendar last year? Do you remember? I don't even think we've celebrated it yet because it's not even a year old. Mm, I know he loves the undoer of knots, but Mary, that's not a new one. Yeah. Mary, it's Mary something. Mary, um, order of son to make wine out of water. Isn't it uh, I don't know. Mary, mother of the church? It could I be. Think, uh, yeah, I think so. This is a new uh, Marian feast day. I don't remember its rank, if it's a memorial or a feast, but it's the Monday after Pentecost. Yeah, and again, I don't think that... Uh, uh, we've even celebrated it yet. So Pentecost 2019 will be the first time to observe that. But the but Virgin Mary is an image of the church, right? She's this sort of perfect fruit of, what does it say here? That admires the most excellent fruit of the redemption. In other words, she's a, a creature, the Virgin Mary, and she has her immaculate perfection as a fruit of Christ's own redemptive work. So in a sense, she's kind of the first among creatures. Blessed is she among women, but really blessed is she among all human beings. And so we start with her. If we're going to celebrate all these feasts, what are we going to do? We're going to talk about our own potential to be glorified. And so she's the first uh, one mentioned here after the Christ's own mysteries. After Mary at number 104, the church uh, kind of keeps going down this path as you have the saints. 
So the church is also included in the annual cycle, days devoted to the memory, there's that word memory again, of the martyrs and the other saints, raised up to perfection by the manifold grace of God and already in possession of eternal salvation. What do they do, Dennis? They sing God's perfect praise in heaven and offer prayers for us. So next chapter, is it the next chapter that's sacred music? Yeah, Yeah, there's a lot of heavenly singing going on. Uh, By celebrating... Now, here you go. By celebrating the passage of these saints from earth to heaven, which is what Pascha means, the church proclaims the Paschal mystery achieved in the saints. Yeah. So when saints we celebrate images, saints, who are we celebrating? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. They're members of the mystical body. So every saint's feast is a, is a celebration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think, uh, again, in the catechism, are you familiar with this section on icons? Uh, the, the, what we worship... We don't worship icons, except insofar as the icon or the saint is the image of Christ. That mm-hmm. that's the the reality of uh, of uh, all the saints. Right, and venerating saint is to venerate in one sense uh, someone who's a good model, and it says that here in one of four. But also to delight in the work that Christ has done. So. Jesse, if you know some great benefactor came along and said, "I'm going to pay for Agnes's college," you'd be like, "Wow, what a good guy." We're going to remember him. We're going to remember his generosity and maybe be like that someday. I'd be like, thanks, Chris Carstens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so what uh, what this chapter does in 102, 103, and 104, and then 105, which we've... uh, what we kind of briefly looked at is kind of lays out a little bit of a theology of sacred time, obviously in very compact form. And then it says, okay, in light of all of this stuff, this is how uh, the reform of the calendar ought to take place. Right. And why do they think they need to reform a calendar? I have a kind of meaty footnote 55 in mind that mm-hmm. you probably don't have. No. Um, but what it says here, and this is not in the text of Vatican II itself, it's just somebody's comment. But it says, the church year has become somewhat obscured through the multiplication of feasts. It is to be restored with due emphasis on the central Easter mystery. Every Sunday is a memory of Christ's resurrection. And so the council wants to do kind of this first things first, second things second, third things As we just talked about, a multiplication of feasts of Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, this this happens often in the church's life. Now, you can do it, first of all, uh, as... uh, her, her, her sacramental timepiece kind of slips a cog. So it used to be that the, uh, the Julian calendar, what that's uh, 40-something B.C., right, uh, uh, figured that the, uh, a year was 365 days, five hours, and what, six hours, a quarter of a day, right? But it's actually 365, five hours and 49 minutes, and that 11 minutes over the course of a century adds up to about a whole day. And so 1,500 years later, 1,600 years later, the church's time, a kind of man-made time, was about 15 days off of um, cosmic, cosmic time. cycle of the sky. Right? And so like the summer solstice was being celebrated on, uh, you know, like June 10th or something like that. So Gregory the, what was it, the 7th or something? Gregory the somebody uh, redid the Gregorian calendar to make it align again. So occasionally the church has this readjustment, whether it's with kind of the natural world or what you're talking about, Dennis. I think this happened even before Trent. You know, the, the saints start to uh, awesomely, gladly uh, get added to the calendar, but what kind of is uh, obscured by the addition of saints is kind of the the 
the larger picture of what this is trying to convey, which is actually Christ. Now, the saints obviously aren't doing battle with Christ. They're expressions of Christ. But the, the temporal element, which is sacramentalizing Christ, starts to become, uh, would you say, obscured? or yeah. If a lot of these saints... Days are solemnities, right? They have proper readings. What are you not reading? The regular cycle of ordinary time. And if yeah, that happens... And every day is going to be a solemnity. Right. And if, if <laughs> so there are so many saints days that every day is some saint day, which is great in one sense because you're celebrating the saints. On the other hand, you kind of lose the sequence of that time. So what they well, wanted to do here was simplify and let the year come forward. Let Sunday be Sunday, let Easter be Easter, and have the saints days reordered so that that would be primary. Yeah. Yeah, this may be relative to this too. Do you know more about this, Dennis? Like at the beginning of Mass, more than one collect or opening prayer would be said. So you'd have to say one for, you'd be in one part of an octave and then this saint would come and then you could say, I don't know, possibly two, maybe three different opening prayers. And the observance of time then um, isn't it clearly representing the Paschal Mystery of Jesus. That's what they called doubles and semi-doubles. This, all these prayers were doubled sometimes on, on certain feast oh, days. Oh, I think, yeah, you think very the liturgy is very Wait, wouldn't semi-double just mean one? Well, no, it's more than one list. Doubles of the first class and <laughs> the second, different yeah. the rankings of saints. It was, so it was very complicated. complicated. If you think the church calendar is complicated now, boy. Yeah. So anyway, the council's like, hey, this is all good stuff. Let's do some things to bring it out. And so they have... A few decrees in 106, 107, and through uh, 111. So what do they say in there, Christoph? Uh, 106, by a tradition handed down from the apostles, which took its origin from the very day of Christ's resurrection, the church celebrates the Paschal mystery on the eighth day. Uh, It's the original feast day, it says uh, later in 106, uh, a day of joy and freedom from work. It's the, the last line is, it's the foundation and kernel of the whole liturgical year. So there's a real emphasis by the council to refocus her time on Sunday. And it says at the end of 106, other celebrations, unless they're truly overriding importance, must not have precedence over Sunday, which is the nucleus of the liturgical year. So to the most part, there aren't very many feast days that replace Sunday. There are a few though, right? Yeah, there can be a feast of the Lord in uh, ordinary time can bump or, or trump a uh, uh, Sunday of ordinary time. Right. But um, yeah, on the whole, the Sunday is pretty sacrosanct. As it should be. And then when Pope uh, John Paul II added Divine Mercy Sunday, some people are sort of griping about that, right? Oh, how could he replace the second Sunday of Easter with this devotional feast? But people love it, so not too many people are complaining, except the, pes- you know, the, the pesky liturgical types like you, Jesse. Mm-hmm. I actually, I like it. Yep. So 107 says the liturgical years to be revised, that the customs and discipline of the sacred seasons can be preserved. Now, we did a major overhaul of the liturgical calendar at Vatican II, which you think would be a really big disruptive problem to move traditional saints days to other days that people are used to them. They must have thought it was a good reason. I think we're still not over that whole messing no, I don't say messing, that's a bad word, but uh, moving a calendar thing. Tweaking. Well, I guess it depends who you ask. Because you yeah. have the new calendar and the old calendar, or the extraordinary form and the ordinary form, and they're trying to sort of work each other together now. Yeah, no, you're right. And it's uh, it, it makes things very confusing and very frustrating. And of course, what we do with holy days, are they obligations this year or not? Is it a Monday? Is it a Saturday? Uh, the, the the temporal element in the worship is, is uh, very... I think, a reasonably debated point that um, that, that if we want the time to tell Paschal Mystery time, um, it just doesn't seem like we're quite 
there yet. I'm not questioning the, the reforms mm-hmm. that, that they implemented, but certainly uh, uh, appreciating them and understanding them is something still. What's to, that great list of priorities that you always like to refer to whenever I ask you, does this one move or not? You say, look in something, and it's oh, like, yeah. these are this, this is that. What's that? It's the table of liturgical days. Yes. Yeah, so there's a... Um, uh, the general norms on the liturgical year and calendar, which uh, was 50, uh, 50 years ago in 1969. Where do you find that? Uh, it's a document that exists in the Missal. Okay, so the calendar is strictly speaking a part of the Missal. And this is why it gets confusing when you have two Missals. It means you have two legitimate calendars. The calendar doesn't exist in the Code of Canon Law, say. Uh, so you have two legitimately uh, usable calendars, one for the ordinary form and one for the extraordinary form. And so, again, it just adds to the, to the confusion. But when you told me about that, that table of liturgical uh-huh. days, I was like, oh, there's the answer. It tells yeah. you exactly what can replace Sunday, if it can, and what does what. So 108 here says, the mind of the faithful must be directed toward the feasts of the Lord in the mysteries of salvation in the course of the year. So in the proper of time, that's the, the feast um, pertaining to Christ, um, that those are given preference over the Feast of Saints. So Christ first, Saints second. They're probably just trying to reorder things based on the idea of somehow Saints' days had become kind of unruly and uh, were overwhelming the Sunday. Saints. Yeah. Now, after it talks about Sunday, I think this is interesting. Of the, of the, the various liturgical seasons, it only talks about Lent. And I mentioned this before, Jesse. Yeah, no uh, Advent, no Christmas. Yeah, it doesn't mention anything. It just mentions Lent. It says Lent has a twofold purpose for recalling or preparing for baptism, one, and for penance. And so if this is the purpose of Lent, then uh, the calendar should be reformed that it brings out in Lent more clearly the, the baptismal features of Lent. Right, so yeah, in Lent you... Um, Remember, there's this question, should you empty out holy water fonts and put no. it in the sand? Right. No, and the response is because the whole purpose of Lent is baptismal in character. So take the baptismal sac- water out and yeah. use sand. Yeah. Weren't you baptized with sand? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's a great application of, of this there. thing. You know, the baptismal features of, uh, of Lent are to be there, as well as the penitential What uh, are some elements. baptismal features proper to the Lenten liturgy that have been brought into the liturgy? Would that be... Using the asparagus kind of sprinkling rites more often? Uh, Probably not during, I don't think that's envisioned uh, during Lent. Certainly the RCIA elements uh, with the rite of sending and rite of election and the various scrutinies and things like that. The the options for, if you look in your missal, your missalette, Right, you can. There's there's cycle A readings and cycle C readings. So you always use A ones if you have cycle A readings. If you have people in RCIA because they have these baptismal elements about them. The Samaritan woman at the well is on the third Sunday of Lent. But if you don't have that, then you get a story about the Tower of Siloam falling and a tree not bearing fruit and and whatnot. That was yeah this year. That was this year. Uh, let's see. Uh, and then it talks about the Paschal fast in 110 should be kept sacred, you know, on, uh, What's good, the Paschal fast? It's, it's fasting during the, the, the days of the Triduum on Good Friday, which is a, a universal day of fast, but it even says, uh, throughout Holy Saturday, if possible. So that the joys of Sunday may be visited on uplifted and responsive spirits. In other words, if you're hungry Friday and Saturday, boy, Sunday ham is going to yeah, be so that's the point. freaking good. And then at uh, the one, last one, at 111. 111, again, it makes the same point. 
uh, the second paragraph there says, lest the feasts of the saints should take precedence over the feasts which commemorate the very mysteries of salvation, many of them should be left to uh, be celebrated in local churches, dioceses, or congregations. Right. Right? One so, of the complaints at that time was that some of the early church saints became universal saints pretty early on in the churches calendar and most people didn't even know who these sort of obscure italian saints were and if you had a parish named after it and then they were removed from the calendar where do you like saint you, christopher yeah when, when do you celebrate then if you're yeah. named after a saint that was i guess removed from the normal calendar well see the 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 saint wasn't removed from the universal calendar Right, so the, there's a thing called the Roman Martyrology that lists all the saints on their particular day. But let's say on any given day, there's 25 saints. Mm-hmm. Right, so you're, they're going to be celebrated locally, whether in Italy, the United States, Mexico, Canada, the Sudan, whatever, according to how uh, applicable they might be to that situation. So St. Christopher is probably still on the calendar in Germany, for example. He's still on the universal calendar, even though he's not on the calendar for the U.S. So being reduced from the universal calendar, which means everybody in the world has to celebrate it, it can become optional or local or whatever it happens to be. And so that allows the Christian, well, they're all Christian, but the Christ-centered mystery days to be given the prominence without being overwhelmed by local saints. So here we go. Liturgical time, liturgical year, saints. It's all Jesus. Right, Jesse? All comes back to Jesus. Good summary. Yeah, Just and, like Parmesan crisps. Yeah, that's true. Which all come from Jesus. And we actually have uh, a mini little lesson on this topic at our Young Adult, uh, Young Adult Liturgy Conference this summer. We do? Yeah. Lynn Botton's going to talk about liturgical time. Ah, awesome. And it's going to be amazing. So register for that. Btransfigured.com. B. Transfigured. B, B, transfigured. Who, who wants to answer a liturgy B, question? E, Anybody? T, R, I do. I do. S-F-I-U-G-R-E-D. I bet you thought you were going to listen to a Bishop Barron ad or like a Scott Hahn ad. Not this time. No, it's a different ad. Have you ever wished, Jesse, that you could take courses with the content of the Liturgy Guys and the Liturgical Institute in the very comfort of your own home? I have not, but that's because I work here. But I can imagine what it would be like if I did. Well, for those who do, we now have online courses we could call personal enrichment continuing education on various topics four of them are come i'll be up there soon two are there right now two there now and by march 19th there will be three more so five total uh lots of dennis and chris goodness so you can go to www.liturgy.online three with me ha 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 only two is chris so it's a little competition please register and mostly for for dennis's for my classes we have a big thermometer on the wall and i want chris to lose so please go watch Sacramental Aesthetics, right? Study of Beauty in the Liturgy, one's on music documents in the Liturgy, and then the next one will be on active participation and what Vatican II really meant by that term. And Chris, did you want to add anything? Nope. He wants to know where they go to uh, find these online. www.liturgy.online. Excellent. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is? class anyone hey jesse do we have a question we do we have a question from joseph yo joseph joseph says should the easter candle be in the church during lent passiontide and holy week that would be the paschal candle chris i think yes what say you well 
you will find the answer to this in a document called Pascales Solemnitatis. Oh, I love that. Is that, Easter, is that solemn Easter candleness? The circular letter from, I think, 1988. It's on a round piece of paper. <laughs> uh, on preparation and celebration of the Easter feast. And what it says, I'm not looking at it right now, but I think what it says at the end of the uh, Easter season, the, right, so you, you uh, bless the candle at the Easter vigil, and it stands by the ambo all the way to Pentecost. And at Pentecost, it's taken out of the sanctuary. So I think Joseph asked, should it be in the church? Uh, that depends how the setup of your church is. But it's certainly out of the sanctuary, away from the ambo, and put uh, in another place, put by the baptismal font or in a baptistry, because that's it would be used for baptisms throughout the year. And it's also used at uh, funerals, funerals throughout mm-hmm. the year. But it's only in the sanctuary by the uh, ambo during the Easter season. Easter vigil until Pentecost. Does right. it have to be in the baptistry or that's just a good place for it outside of those? The... You could put it somewhere else uh, out of the sanctuary, but then you'd have to move it to the baptistry when you had a baptism. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not to be uh, in the sanctuary uh, in any case. All right, Joseph, I hope that answers your question. If you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Way to go, Chris. That was a good answer. Yeah, I agree. I hope it's right. We should have you answer more questions. How about next week? What are you doing? Sure. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.